Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All right? We're continuing our message series called Out of Context. And uh, for the last several weeks, which we're going to go well, um, well into the rest of uh, October, um, probably into November a little bit, on this topic, Out of Context, because it's too easy for churches and for people, individuals of the body of Christ to take scriptures and pinpoint them, hone in on them, and then use them for their own benefit, for their own ideas, for their own thoughts, whatever it is that they're trying to get across. Most of the time, so that way you can be right and everyone else around you can be wrong. That's usually what happens when we um, take a scripture out of context. And what, I wanna, what I've been encouraging you guys to do for the last few weeks is look at the whole picture. Look at the big picture that's, that the word is laying out. And that's what we're going to do with Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Okay? <clears throat> okay, that's, and it's going to be a great verse. Everyone likes to use this verse for themselves, and uh, it's going to be good. But we're going to go there in just a second. But um, how many of you guys got kids? Anybody here have children? Okay. Now, now is, I don't I have kids too. I've got two boys. One's in college right now. And, uh, the other one is a, uh, junior in high school and, uh, just got done playing football. Man, it's so good back to be back under Friday night lights under football. Ah, oh, so great. But, um, I don't know about you, but I, my kids growing up and maybe yours are the same, have a lot of questions. Yeah. Who's with me? They ask questions after questions after questions. Well, I did a little study on this, and this is going to frame our message today. I did a little study to, uh, this week on how many questions a child asks in a day, all right, in a day, um, in the course of a week, um, what the questions are. So let's go ahead and, and do this. On average, kids under four years old ask an average of 73 questions per day. This mom, 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 mom. Mom, 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 hi. That's all they want to say, okay? Now, this study also discovered that kids in major metropolitan areas ask 93 questions per day. Now, what do you do, parents, when you're tired of listening to the questions? What do you say? You say things like, um, 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 I, I can't answer that right now, or you say, go play. But most of the time, we say, go ask your dad. Right? Or go ask your mom, go ask your mom, go ask your dad. That's what we do when we're trying to avoid the questions when we really don't want to pay attention. Go ask the other parent. Now, dads are off, more often asked questions than mothers are, fielding more than 400 questions per week. That's pretty amazing, right? So dads, you're awesome. Pat yourself on the back for listening to all 400 questions last week. You did a good job. Now, I want to read to you the top 10 questions that children ask. Now, when I, when I read this and I studied this, I thought to myself, man, that's, this is, these are some interesting questions. It's not the ones that we would normally think of, like how many, how many looks does it take to get to the middle of a Tootsie Pop, okay? Although I like that question. And we all know it's how many? Three, right? One, two, and three, okay? So starting off with number 10, here's what it says. These are the top 10 questions asked by children under four years old. Why can't I stay up as late as you? Anybody get that question? Right? How come I can't stay up as late as you? Why is the sky blue? Number nine. Number eight. When you die, who will I live with? That's an interesting question. Number seven. Why do I have to go to school? I just want parents to know of little kids that doesn't stop even when they're 17, as I'm finding out now. 
Why, especially with online training right now, online school, you know, they wake up at 7.59 ready to go to school. <laughs> Why do I have to go to school? Number six, is Santa Claus real? I'm looking around the room, see if there's any kids. I'm not gonna say if he's real or not. Okay, number five, what does we can't afford it mean? I use that one all the time. Number four, how was I made? Well, Johnny, <laughs> number three, what is God? Interesting. Number two, where did I come from? Well, Johnny, <laughs> number one, why do people die? These are the top 10 questions that kids ask in a study done in 2019. And I got the study out of, the, out of a UK um, study, okay? The other questions were, these, these ones didn't make the top 10, but these are the other questions. Um, why are there germs that makes us sick? Um, why are there floods and earthquakes, hurricanes, and tornadoes? Why do people starve? Why did grandma get sick and die? Why do people set off bombs to blow up other people? Man, these kids, under four years old. Why do people do bad things to hurt each other? I just think those are some amazing questions that kids under four ask. Now, when I was four years old, not that I can remember, but I like to say, um, think that I was asking not these questions, but like, um, dad, can I buy a GI Joe, right? Um, can, I, can I get, like just question after question. But the present day age is just, I think, filtered and shaped our kids' lives. That's why it's extra important that we learn to not just treat our kids correctly, but train them correctly right, in the ways of the Lord, in the ways of the presence of God, so that way they can grow up in a way in this world, because I, I, I want to believe and I want to say, right, that things are just going to get better and better and better, right, but, but I really believe what's going to happen is the church is going to rise while things get worse. That's what I think is going to happen. The, the people of God are going to start getting a clue, and we're going to start to rise to a kingdom level where we just begin to advance and move in a very powerful way. I believe that's actually going to happen. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that things in the world are actually going to get better, but I promise you this, that the church is just in its beginning stages of its shining moments right now. Amen? So why is this important to Romans chapter 8? Well, Romans chapter eight talks about how our response to the present sufferings in this world matters to the king. How our response, how it matters. And this is where we get to Romans chapter, 20, uh, chapter eight, verse 20, 28. We're gonna get there, but we have to look at the full context of how Paul got to Romans chapter eight, verse 28. So last week, we talked about the surroundings on which... Uh, on which Paul was writing to the Roman church and what that looked like, what, what, it was, uh, what the culture was at that time. And uh, this was during the time of Nero. Okay, you guys with me? For those of you who were here last week, this was the time during Nero. This is the time where Nero was a very, I mean, a scandalous, awful dictator. He was an emperor during that time. He would have Christians kill at the drop of a dime. He, said, he would say things like, you want to be like Jesus, you're going to die like Jesus and crucify them. At that time, the church in Rome, right? When I say the church, we, we, we instantly hear the Catholic church in Rome, but really there was a Christian church 
in Rome. In that Christian church in Rome during that time, a lot of things were happening in the culture. It was pretty much everything goes in the culture of Rome. All right, you, you want to marry this person, you want to do this to this person, you want to you be scandalous in this business deal, whatever the case was. So there's a lot of unrighteousness and a lot of unholy things happening in that time, in that present time, when Paul was actually writing this letter. You guys got the picture? All right, this is what was taking place. So Rome was a, was, was a fast, it was a fast-paced growing community. It was a fast-paced growing uh, nation and kingdom, okay? And all these things were happening. It was just blossoming and blooming and good and bad. A lot of stuff was going on. Kind of sounds like America today, right? But to truly put Romans chapter 8, verse 28 into perspective... We have to go back to the foundations of what Paul is actually setting up us for. All right? So Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we're going to start there. And what this is going to do is going to set up for us how we get to verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider, someone say the word consider, okay, because here's the thing, in churches across America today, especially in our own personal lives, I believe that we've missed this word called consider, right? We've actually started putting blame on a lot of other people and a lot of other things, right? A lot of other stuff going on for the reason why things are happening rather than considering something different. Rather than considering maybe I'm the issue, maybe I'm the problem, maybe something's going on because God wants it to, we want to instantly push the blame on other people rather than stopping, hitting the pause button and saying, I consider. See, that word consider there is really, really big and it's really, really huge because that means we have a personal responsibility now for us to go to the Father to ask him what he's doing, what he's thinking. I consider that our present sufferings, that our present sufferings, the things going on in Rome in that day, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, the present time is marked by suffering because of man's fall into sin. You see, Paul mentions the suffering of this present time. He was not referring to an especially difficult period in history, but to the entire present age. The whole history of creation since the fall is marked by suffering, is what Paul is trying to relate. The history of nations is marked by struggles, wars, natural disasters, internal conflicts, power struggles, and crime. I suggest to you this morning that where there is death and destruction, that's the footprint and the handprint of the enemy. It is not God. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? If there is death, if there is destruction, if there is no peace, if there is no honor, that is the fingerprints of the enemy's handiwork in that current time and in that current situation going on. See, the history of individuals like you and me is also in large part of a history of trials. How many guys have gone through a trial before, right? That is our present suffering of growing up, figuring out what to do with your life, who you're going to marry. Help us all, Lord. 
raising children, working through struggles in your marriage, providing for your needs, growing old, and facing declining health and death. These are all considered the present suffering going on in our lives. Now, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I would vouch to say that every single one of us in this room, either right now, currently, or have been gone, have gone through a present suffering, a current trial that we're going through right now. Whether that is finding out who I'm going to marry, whether that is the, big, the biggest picture, maybe, maybe it is you're dealing with a family member right now. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe something's going on at work. Whatever the case is, each of us has our own separate present suffering that we might be going through. And this is what Paul is trying to frame in these verses. He's saying it's not, it's not as bad as we think compared to the glory of God that's going to be revealed in us because of that present suffering. See, I used to think that the glory of God revealed in us was, was marked by a single person who was anointed by God, okay? I had this idea that we were still living in the Old Testament where God had called Moses or an Elijah or someone like that and says, you're marked for the, and then the glory of God was revealed in them. For instance, if we read back in history, we can read the Smith Wigglesworths of the world. Do you guys know when I say, when I say the word, the name Smith Wigglesworth? The Smith Wigglesworths of the world, where he would pray for every single person that he came in contact with and they would get healed instantly. The John G. Lakes of the world, where they would literally drop diseases on his hand and they would dissipate and disappear because the glory of God was so strong in his heart. The glory of God was being revealed in him. I used to believe that God just had these specific people call out in our nations. But the reality is this, is that the Smith Wigglesworth, the John G. Lakes, the big time revivalists that we read about, the only difference between them and me is that they said yes to whatever God had for them, to whatever the Lord took place in their life. No matter what it was, all they said was, yes, God, I'm ready to do whatever. Yes, it came with persecution. Yes, it came with, 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 with things going on in their life. Yes, it came with people talking about them. Yes, it came with disappointment. Yes, it came with all that. But all of that pressing suffering led to the place where God's kingdom advanced in their lives. And I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody that God can use to, to see the kingdom of God advance in my own personal life so it affects the world around me that I live in. Amen? But it's not just about one person anymore. We are the church. How many churches are, are in the lacrosse area? Does anybody know? Yeah, those of you who know this answer know where I'm going. There's only one church. There's only one. There's not a bunch of them. There's one. We are the church. And God is using you God is using me. God is using us. He's beginning to work that stuff out so the glory of God can be revealed in us in our present suffering. See, the glory of the Lord revealed in this context is about those who grow in confidence and trust in the king through the trials and the sufferings that they may be going through. Let me just tell you, we as a people of God we have to come to a resolution that we will not back down, that we will not let up, that we're not going to give up, and that we're not going to be defeated from all the stuff that's going on in our world right now, 
from, from COVID to lockdowns to mass to, to elections to all these things going on. We have to rise above it and begin to lead from out front and begin to say to ourselves, we will not be shaken or stirred. We're going to have confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. It's the reason why in the book of Acts, Stephen, a great man of God, just a guy that had a job, passing out food to people in the church, feeding the hungry, but yet preaching the gospel while he did it, still operating with signs, wonders, and miracles, still doing the things that Jesus left all believers to do at that time. It's the reason why Stephen on that day, when they had enough of him and they brought him out, out of the city and they grabbed stones, the Pharisees, Sadducees and the people that hated him, grabbed stones and began to throw rocks at him with every intention to kill him. It's the reason why in that present suffering right now, in Stephen's life, what he was facing, that he could sit there on his knees and allow those rocks to hit him and his face shone like the glory of God. The Bible calls it the sun, shone like the sun, was bright as the sun, like an angel, the Bible says. Because the glory of God was being so illuminated from his life. Because he did not whimper away, he did not back down, he didn't say no, no more. He said, God, this is my present suffering, this is my call, this is what I'm going through. God, go, I'm going to see this thing all the way through until death do us part. And surprisingly, the author of this book was there in that moment. It's where he began his ministry against the church of Jesus Christ. His name was Saul. Now, listen. I don't want to sound foolish here this morning, but when I think of the fear and the scare attached to this name, this disease called COVID, and the things going around with it, what I think, I take on the position of this. It may sound absolutely awful. It may sound even selfish to some, but I think, what are you going to do? Tempt me with death? I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. Hear what I'm saying, guys. I want you to know that I respect you and I honor you. And if this thing scares you, praise God. I know God's got this. If it brings nervousness to you, I know that God's going to work it out in your heart. But as for me in my house, me inside of my heart, I'm not going to be foolish and go around and lick doorknobs, okay? We'll leave that to Packer fans. Hey, hey, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm messing. I'm playing. I can't say anything. The Vikings are horrible this year. All right? But here's the thing. I need to add a little humor in there. Everyone was like, oh. <laughs> but I'm not going to be afraid of this thing. I'm not going to be dumb. I'm not going to go out there and do whatever. I'm going to respect the rules, respect what's going to happen. But I'm not going to allow fear to dictate my emotional state of mind. We can't any longer. We're either going to step in the place that God has for us to begin to move forward and see this thing through, or we're gonna cower away back into our hearts, into our minds, and say, God's not real. Look at what's happening. This is my present suffering right now. This is the present suffering in our country right now. Amongst all the things going on, 
with riots, with looting, with elections, with all the things taking place right now, I want you to know something, that as the church goes through this, the glory of God will be revealed through us. Amen? We are, I'm telling you, and I said this earlier, we are just at the tipping point of what I feel is a new era for the church, where the kingdom of God will advance through every single person whom believes in him. Amen. So here's Paul. He's writing to the Roman church. You may be going through these present suffering, he's saying, but put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in Christ. Say that with me. Put your hope in Christ. One more time. Put your hope in Christ. Paul's saying, put your hope in Christ. And this is where we fast forward to Romans chapter 8, verse 22, right before we get to 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I heard that childbirth isn't that bad. I just heard that. But I mean, just think about that for a second. Just think about that for a second. Just think about that for a second. If we can just... If we can just align these two together with our current culture where we're at right now, the temperature of our, of our nation, of our world, I don't know about you, we're just about there, guys. I believe that God's getting ready to break through, amen? Amen. So, I don't wanna get graphic or nothing. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. There's a lot to unpack there, but we're not going to. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. I love that. Is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There's a lot to unpack there. But for time's sake, what we're going to do is just focus in on this hope. I love that line. Paul says, if we hope for what we already have in our possession, what kind of hope is that? Right? If you hope, if you hope for a dollar bill that's already in your pocket, then that's where your comfort level is at. God's asking us to hope in the greater things that he wants to work in us. He wants us to hope for the glory of God that shall be revealed in and through us. See, basically what that's saying is, it's easy to love God when things are going your way. Amen? It's easy to follow Christ when things never go wrong for you or they never line up for you. It's really easy to say, yes, God, I love you so much and come here for worship when things are really, really great. Yes, God, all the stars are aligned for you. Your life is going great and praise God for those moments, amen? 
We don't negate those at all. We're so happy that those things happen. But what Paul is talking about is if that's the only time where you're expressive in your faith, then we missed it. God wants to work it out in your heart, in your life, when things aren't going right for you in your present suffering. See, what good is it when it's easy? Real hope, real faith, Paul is saying, is produced when it's not going your way and you don't know how to pray anymore. When you feel like your world is being turned upside down. Come on, somebody. When the unexpected happens, when your son or your daughter contract this thing, when something goes on, when you're driving home and you get into a fender bender that's gonna cause you to have some issues, when, you're, when your checking account doesn't match up your bill account, come on somebody, right? When these things begin to take place, God is saying to us, it's easy to play praise him when it's really good, but what are we gonna do to allow God to work in us to where we can grow in confidence and trust, to love him and trust him and have confidence no matter what happens in our life, no matter what takes place. You see, a lot of us have been praying for certain things to come and happen to us. A lot of things, God, I'm just praying for this. And you've been praying maybe for years and it hasn't happened. And the temptation, the temptation is to settle in our hearts that God doesn't care about your issue as much as you care about it. That's the temptation. Come on, this is real stuff. Disappointment will kill your faith in God. See, and it's just like the enemy. It's just like the enemy to use some of the littlest things to distract you from following after his purposes. See, maybe, maybe you don't deal with the big ticket items, right? Maybe, maybe you've never dealt with the drugs and alcohol. Maybe you've never dealt with, with that kind of lifestyle. And let me just tell you, if you have, I want you to know that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that here in just a second. But maybe it's those little things. Maybe it's those little things yet that you haven't submitted to God, the disappointment that you had for him not answering your prayer. Maybe it's because someone hurts you and you're still kind of working through it and you're dealing with it, but your heart's grown callous and hard on the inside and you find yourself falling into and making decisions. Let me say it better that way. Not falling into sin. I don't believe anybody just falls into sin. I believe they choose to sin. Yeah, the temptation's really strong there, but lies are the things that lead us to sin. It's by our, the book of James says this, that we, by our own sinful nature and our desire, are drawn to sin. Maybe it's these little things that we haven't yet done and the enemy now begins to lie to you. He says, you see what I'm saying? You've been praying for your husband. You've been praying for your wife. You've been praying for your kids. And God's not real. He's not answering your prayer. He's not doing that. Maybe that's your present suffering right now. And the enemy takes that and he distracts you. And then before you know it, you start believing in your heart that God really is. And then you start giving up. 
And then we start giving up, not just you, but me too. We start giving up. We start not pursuing. We start not pressing. And then we settle for this is just how it's going to be. Uh, this, this is how it's going to be with God. I'm going to stop asking. I'm going to stop pressing. I'm going to stop going in to the, to the throne room and to the, kingdom of, and to the kingdom of God and begin to ask him for these things. We just begin to just settle in and just call it status quo and say, this is how God really is. See, I want you to know that God knows your heart, amen? He knows your heart. He knows your mind. But he really knows your heart when you allow him to search it. And Paul is saying, if your prayers and requests are not lining up with his direction, then the continual submission to him will allow our hearts to align with his, and you will naturally be praying the will of God if we... Simply just settle, rest, and allow him to work those things out in us to grow in confidence. Now, this is where Romans 8, chapter 8, 28 comes in, and I'm going to be done here in just a few moments. This is where Romans 8, 28 comes in. And this is where a lot of people get it out of context. And it says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, what people read, and especially what the Roman church was going through in that time, they read, we know that God works all these things out for my good. Does it say that? See, the Roman church only trusted in what they had. And when things weren't going their way, the church in, in itself said, God must not love us. God must not care. God must not be real. You see, this verse says, it's the good, not my good, because your good may not be the good of what he wants. We all want God to do something for us, for our benefit. But what if that doesn't happen? We have to align ourselves to a place of confidence and trust that he knows better than I do. Amen? That he knows exactly what needs to take place in this present suffering of what I'm going through. It may not be exactly what you want, but I promise you that his good is better than your good. His good is much better than your good. And this is where it gets twisted. See, a lot of people want to use this verse for themselves, right? They use this verse for themselves as a, as a, as a, way, to, as a way to manipulate God. God, I'm going on a quick trip today. And I just want you to know that I'm buying a scratch off, okay? Okay? And I'm expecting, Lord, to win the million dollar jackpot, okay, Lord? You promised me in your word that all things work out together for the good, for those. You, God, you, you said it. I'm just quoting what you said. All things work out together for my good, God. I mean it. You said it, Lord. Okay, I'm doing it. Buy the ticket. 
Scratch. Listen, if you want, if you can't tithe off your hundred, this is what this is what we do. This is what we do. God, I promise you, if I win a million dollars, I promise you I'll tithe to the church. I promise you. I promise. Listen, if you can't tithe off your hundred that you make right now, you ain't tithing off your million. Here we go, Lord. I lost money? How did that happen? Right? Oh, no. And then you keep buying another one. Because God, you promised me it's my good, my good. This has got to be good. Why couldn't this be good? See, a lot of people take this verse and they use it in that context for themselves. So when that doesn't happen to them, then they start questioning God's sovereignty. They start questioning his authority in our lives. Listen, his good is better than your good because his good is much better than our lives are planned. We just have to settle, trust, and grow confidence that he has it all under control and he knows exactly what he's doing. See, the things that we have and the things that we don't have, if we can just learn to position ourselves to trust God and to say and believe, you are sovereign, you know what's best, we will then develop the confidence in Christ it will take to go to battle. Do you believe this morning that there is a spiritual battle for your soul? Because there is a spiritual battle waging right now against your heart, against your attention, against your spirit, against where you're going to be fully devoted to. It's the reason why media is going just all over the place, 24-7 access. All the time, boom, 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 boom. It's distracted to what's important in our hearts. It's the reason why all these things are taking place because God may not, the the enemy, I'm sorry, the devil may not come in a place where it's really, really big. Like I said, he's going to come as a small fox into your garden and try to steal away what was God's before. And whatever that looks like for you personally, there is a spiritual battle happening for you right now in your attention. Are we going to give attention to the enemy and go along with it and be distracted by that? Or are we going to say, you know what, God, I'm going to fully focus in confidence and trust in what you have because I believe that you're the good that's better than my good. See, it's because after these verses, you can play some music back there real soft. It's because after these verses of Romans 8, chapter 28, for God works together everything that is the good, not your good, not my good, but the good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I used to say and believe that your calling was whatever God had positioned you to do for work or for the will of God or whatever. I, I, I would like to suggest to you this morning that the purpose that God has for you right now, called according to his purpose, is the purpose of loving him through the fire, through the business, through the mess that's going on right now, through the stuff that's taking place, through your present suffering is the calling of the purpose right now in your life. See, because when we get on the other side of that 
and we grow in confidence and we grow in rest and we grow in trust, knowing that no matter what happens in my life, if God heals it or doesn't heal it, if God takes care of it or doesn't take care of it, whatever the case is, we lead ourselves to the next few verses. And it says this, verse 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me just tell you, you're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Everyone just wants to stop there. But you're more than a conqueror. Why? Because the battle does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So if you're always on the winning side, growing in confidence, growing in trust, I promise you, you will be more than that conqueror that God placed you to be. In all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced. I love that when Paul says that. I am convinced, he says this, here's the line, I will hold the line. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present sufferings or the future, if you will, quotation sufferings, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to get to the part where you're more than the conqueror, then maybe some of us just have to go through the present suffering to get there. Knowing all the time in Romans 8 chapter 28, it may not be what I think is good for my life, but I trust Jesus in his sovereignty, knowing that it is good because he is good. He is always good. It amazes me how sometimes we sing the song, the goodness of God, but a lot of us, our lips are there, but our hearts are far from it. And I believe the church is gonna circle back, back around to understand and believe that he really is good. He's always there. He's always right where we need him. But I don't feel him. Stand there convinced that neither death nor life, feeling or unfeeling, whatever the case is. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. I am convinced that neither death nor life, prayers hitting the ceiling. God, I just don't feel loved. I'm convinced that neither death nor life are not feeling loved. God, I am convinced that nothing's gonna separate us from each other. Now you have to understand something. Paul, this time, is writing this letter out of a prison cell. He's writing from a place where it's not ideal. This is how Paul came to the revelation that I believe that God works everything out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I hope this encourages you this morning. Because right now, maybe in your own personal life, you may be dealing with a circumstance, a present suffering, where it doesn't look real good. Where it doesn't look like it, it feels right where it doesn't look like 
things are happening for the good of the kingdom. But make no mistake about it. If we sit in that pocket and we learn to grow trust, confidence, and we rest in him, not pushing, when he says go, we go. When he says stop, we stop. You understand that God's no is just as important as his yes. So when he go, he says no, we go, we don't go. When he says yes, green light, baby, go. Whatever the case is, that's how we develop the confidence in Christ that we need so we can truly say I'm convinced that nothing's gonna deter me from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing. Because I believe that everything works together for the good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. The ministry team's gonna come up to the front here in just a few moments. And while they're coming up here, I just wanna ask a question. Every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna ask two questions here this morning. First question is this. I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't ask this. Is there anybody here this morning that says, you know what, Pastor? My life with Jesus is not right. And I know it's not. I've been playing around with God. I've been choosing. I've been making some really bad decisions lately. And man, I just wanna, I just wanna come back. I wanna experience his love again in my life. I wanna experience that purpose. God, I, uh, I wanna just fully give it over to him. The, the cool thing about God is that he's not the God of second chances. He's the God of multiple after multiple chances. He desires for no one, for no one not to experience his love. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, that's me, pastor, will you pray for me? Just slip a hand up real quick and put it right back down. Is there anybody here that says, that's me, pastor? I wanna give my life back to Jesus. I wanna get right with him. If that's you, just raise it real quick. Don't worry, no one else is looking around, just me. Thank you, I see your hand, thank you. Thank you so much. Second and last question. You're here this morning saying, Pastor, I'm going through a present suffering. I need God's strength to help me to get through this. Whatever that looks like. God, will you help me get through? If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. Put it right back down. Thank you so much all over the place. That's great. Thank you so much for being honest and transparent this morning. Don't worry, God's here for you. The Bible says in Romans that there's absolutely no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, none. And I promise you, you're not condemned here. If you can, for that first, for those first group that raised their hand, if you did, will you say this prayer with me? And I'd just like to invite everyone to say this with me, please. Out loud with all your heart. Say, Father, forgive me my sin. I'm sorry for leaving you. Help me to come back right and be with you. I know you've never left me, but today, Jesus, I make a commitment to give you all my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Can we give those people a round of applause? It's so grateful you guys to do that. And so, Father, right now as we close, Jesus, I just pray for every single person that raised their hand today. 
God, I just ask that your presence and your Holy Spirit, God, would just overwhelm them, God, to a place where they just feel, no matter what is happening around their surrounding, no matter what is going on in their personal world, God, no matter what is taking place, God, I just pray in Jesus' name that they would grow in confidence and they will learn to trust you. God, that they would be fully convinced that they will never leave you, forsake you, or any of that stuff, God, but Lord, they would stay with you as you're staying with us. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen.